I'm Rick Ralph and thanks for joining me, talking garbology, waste and recycling unwrapped. As an industry professional with more than 40 years experience, both internationally and in Australia, my podcast series provides listeners an insight to and conversations with a number of key industry leaders, subject professionals, knowledge experts on a wide range of topics waste and recycling related. Wherever you may be listening, I trust you find my program informative as we explore and unbundle the complex yet interesting subjects of waste management, secondary resource recovery, recycling, and all their endeavours. Did you know that Australia has the highest uptake of solar globally, with more than 21% of homes now across Australia, or equivalent to 2.53 million rooftop solar panel systems that have been installed? With the focus on renewable energy policy at all levels of government and the debate centred about the benefits of solar power and how it replaces fossil fuels, a recent report published, research project published by Charles Darwin University's Northern Institute Research Fellow, Dr. Topeka Matur, has identified a real and emerging issue in challenging the rhetoric as to the validity of the afterlight benefits and the use of those disused solar panels. In a research project, Topeka with her colleagues Robin Gregory from the Regional Development of Australia and Tristan Simmons, Desert Knowledge of Australia, undertook a research project to actually identify the afterlife of solar panels, the recyclability of them, the numbers of them, where they go, and what we're doing with these uh, solar panels once they've actually had their use by date. I'm sitting today chatting with Topeka about the research report findings and what it means to the opportunities but also the challenges in terms of managing our photovoltaic panel waste that is rapidly emerging across Australia. But we'll get into that shortly. But uh, Topeka, welcome. And uh, just for the listeners, perhaps you can a brief background on your your interests and uh, your uh, research fellowships. Uh, thank you, Rick. Most of my interest uh, has been in the last few years is looking at waste. So we started with construction waste and in that process, I stumbled upon this minefield of waste arising from photovoltaics. And so for the last year and a half, we've just been opening this Pandora's box of mm. solar waste and it's really been an exciting journey. The I guess, uh, how was the, re- the research, the background to the research in the first place? Um, there has been research done, but this was looked in particular, the rural and the remote, it took in a rural and remote component, uh, didn't it? Uh, yes. And uh, there's extensive research done on end-of-life uh, management of solar panels, but what we found, one, was that it done, was done in uh, and for urban centres. And the second... Uh, was that it were, they were very technical studies. So they were looking at a part of the end-of-life management. So there'll be heaps and heaps of information on how do you recycle, how do you process uh, maybe the transport emissions uh, and so on. And uh, for our study, we did have a quantitative component, but I think more of it was uh, just to find out uh, why and when do solar panels become waste? So instead of just looking at technical aspects, we looked more at the social and political aspects. The background, it basically had a literature review. It had a research and design methodology behind it as well. 
You then went to, uh, had a lot of stakeholders. You actually went and asked the recyclers and the, the, the installers and, and whatever. Very, very comprehensive. So starting at the beginning, how did you put it together and to get into those steps? Uh, we kind of followed uh, what we usually do in any research study is uh, first look at existing literature, international, domestic. Uh, then we try and look at methods. How do we find out what we are looking to find out. In this case, we were looking to find uh, why is there a waste arising? What are the reasons? Are they any different from the reasons that are in cities? Because this was looking at Northern Territory, uh, which hasn't been discussed in literature. And, and we wanted to find a methodology that was appropriate. So instead of just doing a survey, uh, we wanted to talk to the stakeholders, find out what is happening, and then... Uh, listen to them and say, look, what are the problems uh, that you have in managing this waste? What did you find in the literature review? What stood out to you in that area? Uh, was it consistent? Was it inconsistent? Do you uh, think? It was consistent. It was um, very much focused on recycling, yes. which surprised me. Uh, there was little to discuss, talk about at all about, can we reduce this as a waste? Um our solar, and when you talk about recycling, what we found, there's nothing to say that the panel should be designed to be recycled. So that beginning bit is missing, but you want to recycle them. And uh, again, uh, very technically focused, as if they don't interact with society. So uh, that connection was missing, and that's what we wanted to put back in. It's people who make those decisions, it's people who recycle, it's people who collect. And uh, how do we understand that? And that's why we took the interview approach. The um, I think somewhere in the in the territory since 1996, there's something like 396,000 or 398,000 solar panels, and they're all different grades, different material streams. What have we found out about the recycling of those to date from the territory? Uh, the simple answer is nothing. And uh, what is happening is that. We don't even know how many of those have been decommissioned. So this data is has been pieced together uh, on the basis of clean energy regulators data. Uh, how many have been installed? Then uh, Ikistika had done some bushlight systems. We got that, power and water. So even putting that together for the Northern Territory was a bit tricky. And I'm sure we've missed heaps. Um, and what comes out is not written anywhere. And that becomes problematic because it's assumed that there is some early losses and then they should be just there for 25 to 30 years. So that is what we wanted to just explore and see more. Your presentation at the local government uh, conference uh, that we've attended and uh, I'm recording this podcast with you on, um, the reasons for uh, recycling or removal, there was about six reasons. There was water, uh, there was water damage, there was vandalism. Um, there was technical failure, there was just a general recycling or renovating. When people want to renovate their house or whatever they want to do, they they get rid of them and they update them in the time. There was a community um, damage or community hub, so if they replaced it within the communities then they were just automatically replaced by government uh, and regulation required it. I guess from that point of view, you, you talk about the average lifespan of 25 to 30 years for a solar panel but what did you really find about the, the, the thing? What we really found was absolutely fascinating. It, what we found that for residential, often people are replacing them at 10 to 12 years. 
So when you've recovered the cost, initial cost of putting them, and your invert, it's time to change inverters because they have a different lifespan. People are taking that opportunity to replace the whole system. So there's no real need, reason to replace, but you get a new warranty for the system. You get cheaper panels, which are far more efficient. So in terms of efficiency and economics, a customer is making the best decision. But mm -hmm. is that the best decision for waste uh, is something that is questioned. And I think what you did find also, I mean, we talk about remote and the rural, the breaking in, into the areas. But this is symptomatic across Australia, isn't it? We, it this is not unique. The Territory study has certainly identified real gaps in a disconnect between policy and, an, and a reality in recycling. Would you, would you say that be fair? Uh, absolutely, because there's so much of push for renewables and I'm all for it. But what we forget is that it does have a cost at some point. Uh, and we just turn a blind eye to that. And uh, so the waste policies and energy policies just don't talk to each other. And even subsidies, every time there's a subsidy given, there's an uptake of solar panels, which is good. But where is it tied in with those that when it comes to the end of life that you will dispose them in a correct, correct way? Or what are you going to do with them? In your... Uh interviews and in your process on the recycling, I guess from uh, a recycling point of view, did you find any evidence of genuine recycling of the panels in Australia or was it just dismantling and stockpiling or what, what did you find in that area? Uh, well, um, it was um, dismantling and storing. Yes. It was someone instant. In another one, it was dismantling. So the glass and aluminium are the first ones to be, which formed the bulk of the panel. And the inside wafer is sent overseas for processing as expected mm. in some ways. So when we talk about material recovery and the costs that we can, uh, or the uh, materials that we can actually gain, uh, it's not within Australia. It's in another developing country. And of course, we couldn't get information where it goes. But, uh, but it's not um, with all. Some are stockpiling and waiting for... Uh, technology to catch up and recycle them within Australia. And economies of scale also play yeah, a big part of it. Big part. The the issue you note also, I think, in your research, you found that it's um, nearly on a factor of four to one for maintenance. So if you have a faulty panel 300 kilometres, and you did your modelling, I think, on 300 kilometres from a, uh, an urban area, the reality in the territory, 300 kilometres doesn't take you very far. You know, it, doesn't, it barely takes you to Catherine, I think, at that stage. Um, so for 300 kilometres from Darwin, um, you, you had a fourfold increase in the maintenance and that for it. So it, it becomes a real cost economic imbalance, doesn't it? It does, because uh, when contractors go to fix or change panels in remote communities, uh, there's a big distance factor. And, uh, and, and the way that they're paid is, is very different to what people would have experienced in, ex in centres. So there is a sitting cost that the contractors get. Uh, by the time they spend, they get a uh, uh, cost of how many kilometers they travel. And because these are remote area, they have to spend the night there. So all of these costs and the actual cost of doing the work, which might just be a couple of hours, uh, it, it can be easily in, in the scale of four to 5,000. So that's the cost added to do any maintenance, any replacement of panels in remote communities, which might have just been broken by stone throwing. Really? Yeah. Right. The, um, I guess the, the, the 
the stakeholders. What else did you find from your stakeholders? And, and bear in mind, we're not just talking recyclers. We're talking a broad range of stakeholders, installers and people. There, was there any standout in your uh, research for that that you found either consistent or inconsistent? I found that the concern uh, for the environment was a very genuine concern with all stakeholders and they all wanted to do the right thing. But what is not present is uh, any kind of regulations or any guidance, policy guidance, as what they should do. And that's where the mismatch was. And um, I think, uh, the, so starting from uh, the installers and the people who take them off, where do they take the solar panels? Uh, when they take them to the landfill, the landfill regular, uh, operators don't know what should be done with them. So, so that is um, an issue. And, and that just goes on and on. So that cycle perpetuates that if people don't know what to do, even the regulators are not sure of what can be done with them as recycling uh, because the technology is not there as yet. So it, it, it's just um, a vicious cycle. That we have to break. And I, I guess in policy, what you did find was the the whole um, disconnect between renewables policy. All governments are going for this twenty percent or fifty percent renewables by twenty fifty, but you didn't find any evidence, did you, in the research? The, the shortcomings was the fact that the recycling is now only playing catch up in that, isn't it? Yes, it's it's not mentioned at all. It's just assumed that those panels will appear and disappear. So which doesn't really happen. They have, at the end of their life cycle, whatever that is, there has to be a plan when you're installing, when you're tendering, uh, when you're contracting those panels, that what's going to happen. So there is the product stewardship scheme that is likely to come in for Australia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, what about the panels that are already there? We have to find a solution for those. Because the technology is very different today to where it was mm. Um, 1996 panels look very different to 2010. I think in 2010 they've changed the composition. There's less silver oh, yeah. and the less less um, valuable materials. In it. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, decreasing the amount of material, the decreasing the import amount of valuable materials. So what you recover from them is uh, is going to be less of value to you. So when you set up a recycling plant, you have to make sure that uh, you keep that in mind. What is the economic cost of establishing and running and the volumes and recovery, resource recovery. I guess in the, uh, in the, uh, the observations from it, you found the tr transition point for recycling in the Territory whilst we look at that 25, 20, 25 year uh, lifing. We think that we're going to have a problem with a lot of panels in 2040. The reality is because of all these other front end changes that are occurring, you believe that in your research that uh, we might be actually facing a problem with what we're going to do with all these thousands of panels a lot earlier than that, uh, well, potentially? Yeah, uh, yes, and uh, if people start changing them at 10 to 12 years, well, that's half the anticipated life cycle and uh, it will be an issue. But uh, keeping in mind that this is not looking so much on the large-scale solar farms, mm -hmm. we are looking at the consumer's and how they are making a change. So I think it needs investigation very seriously. What are the solar farms going to do? How are they, How do they manage their waste? Because they will be the biggest um, generators of waste and even commercial organizations because there it's an asset. How are you maintaining? Are you prolonging its life by maintaining it? Or are you changing it uh, to get more efficient panels? And I guess um, when you look at the Australian statistics, I mean, there's, what, 300,000 uh, panels 
mm. likely to hit their use by date, even if they did 20 years, mm. but a lot far in mm. between uh, 2020 and 2030. But we're looking at potentially by 2035, 5 million in the research mm. for having to find a home for. Yeah. Quite it's a significant amount, uh, but what has to be uh, also seen that they're not in one area. You know, when we talk numbers, they are dispersed over a certain amount of area. So collecting them has a cost, transporting them has a cost. And once you have them all together, you are assuming that whatever you recover, uh, you're recovering 100%. So uh, my question would be that we do have to look at other options and not depend on recycling only. So we look at the reuse and we, the genuine reuse or repurposing them, putting them back together again and potentially sending them offshore to uh, developing countries that might have a use for it. <laughs> well, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we can deal with our panels within Australia. Yeah, but maybe, <laughs> I mean, the, the economies, economies of scale may provide an opportunity for us to do something different. <laughs> I think that the, the, the developing world has enough panels of their own to deal with. <laughs> I guess in uh, the key findings, though, from your perspective, um, what would you put them down to that you, you really do think that we need to focus? It's, it's, it's good that the federal government now talking about a product stewardship scheme, but that product stewardship scheme without a solution for recycling and re, re, redoing something with them is a product stewardship just to put on something, you're going to do something to take it back is mm. not going to be effective, mm. is it? You need to have it. That has to close the loop. Uh, it does. And I think there are very different solutions for urban centres as for regional. And I think because I live in a regional town, I'm more concerned with what happens there. Mm. Uh, it's very easy to throw them in, in the bush. So one of the big takeaway for me would be we must find places where we can stockpile them or take them. How do we transport? Do they have to be transported hundreds of kilometers to a central location as is being done now or can we start looking at small scale local solutions for these i don't know if they're there or but at least if we don't start thinking they'll never be there so we have to start exploring that uh, and uh, making sure that we extend their life by reusing them first because if only six panels are broken for whatever reason but you throw out the whole array of 50 panels along with it but that's a huge waste of working panels. So and that's what you found that yeah. in the replacement. In, in, and why can't we – there are uh, options that have been uh, tried out in the US and Europe where they have online websites for secondhand uh, solar panels. So perhaps that could be one of the ways. I'm sure there are hundreds of other ways if we put our minds to it, but we just have to start looking for them. What you've identified, though, is a very big gap between the reality of the talking about recycling and the end of life and the reality of recycling or reuse and repurposing. Now, that's really the, the key finding, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The, and also the fact that state governments and federal governments have this renewables Mm. And they have this push for renewables, but they don't actually join the dots for the for the waste the, the waste at the back of the renewables. I think at the time when you're having a policy out for uh, pushing for renewables, that's the time. That's the time when you have to say, okay, which panels do we put in? Uh, how do we tender for them? How do we procure? And how do we put in an end of life policy for them? And that's where the tricky. When we say end of life, it means they're dead. They're not. You know, <laughs> and yeah. so I think the terminology also has to change. Are we end of what does end of life mean for solar panels? I don't know yet. Well, if they've if they're being replaced at uh, half the use by date, they're certainly not but, the yeah, end of yeah, life, are yeah, they? Yeah. 
the uh, report then um, will be available on the website, the Garbologist, and through uh, CDU. What do you do next with this? How, what have we What have we got to do next? The, the report has had this found this shortcoming. Uh, it's found the opportunity, obviously, with the with the large scale projects. Maybe there's something we can do to to do that. Where do we go next? Do you think with this, uh, Topeka? Uh, a few things. Um, for my own research, I think I'm interested in trying and testing this at a national level for regional Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do different regions manage and what are the similarities and differences in managing solar waste? And that's the area that I'm really keen and interesting. There are enough people working on the cities and stuff, but the regional research is always left behind. And, and it is interesting because solar panels are always advocated for regions for off-grid. So which means that they are absolutely the right thing for regions to have. But then all of these regional towns and areas get stuck with these panels once they've... And certainly the remote and the communities. We've got Mm -hmm. hundreds of communities in the Territory. We've got a very uh, um, diverse uh, distances, the Territory distance, you know, a 1,000 kilometres, 1,500 kilometres is nothing when you're driving around with some of these communities and then all of a sudden you've got like... 500 panels you're going to have to replace. Yeah. And, and and that's exactly what it is. So how do these panels move from those communities into anywhere where anything can be done, even reuse, uh, recycle, whatever options we do, or even reduce the waste? How, hmm. how do we do we just extend their life somehow that they don't get taken off at that 10 to 12? They finish their 25 years. Uh, so we just have to start thinking of all of these. This research was only to start uh, raising those questions and I don't have the answers. Well, I think you don't need to have the answer, <laughs> but what you've done, what the research has done and the report's done is it's highlighted a gap. And now, certainly in the Northern Territory, with the fact that the Northern Territory government has actually said they're going to do a, a waste strategy, this can play a very key part into that. Mm. And the federal government with the product stewardship scheme, this can play a very key part in that. Well, I hope so. <laughs> so, to look, thanks for this. I trust you... Uh, uh, I, I found the report very, very sober in reading. I think it's uh, certainly got relevance broader than just the Northern Territory. Um, I trust the listeners might like to go and have a read of it because it's a uh, hundred pages of. Uh, it's not totally heavy reading, but it's it's pretty detailed in its in its in its findings. So thank you, Topeka. Thank you, Rick. Thanks. Pleasure. If you'd like a copy of the report, go to all the w's dot Type in end-of-life management of solar PV panels. You've been listening to The Garbologist. Thanks for listening as we unwrap the stories behind the waste and recycling industry. If you enjoyed this podcast, I have a range of other waste and recycling subject material on my website, www.thegarbologist.com.au. Wherever you may be listening throughout the world, please keep safe Have an enjoyable day and all the very best. Bye for now.